0: Where a lot of ideas are coming from is feeling like I want to make something that's a little bit like this thing that I love, but a little bit like that. And then there's this experience that I had or this artist that I you know, studied their work, and I don't really see that out there and wanting to enter the enter the conversation and and to really yeah, and feel like you have a story to tell. I mean, that's just such a simple answer. but like, I just feel like I have a lot of stories to tell.
1: My name is West Gibbons, and welcome back to the Tungsten Originals podcast. You just heard part of a conversation with writer and director Alexandra Peckman. We discussed how her career as a magazine writer led to her career as a filmmaker her short film Thumb, which is premiering at Fantasia August 10th and 12th, and her latest short film Sleep, which won her a grant from the organization The Future of Film is Female. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Episode 79 of the Tungsten Originals Podcast. Allie, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Yeah, this is exciting. Um, I found out about you and your work through the future of film is female. You won a grant, uh, for sleep, right? That's the short that you won the grant for. Yes. Yeah. So, so you won a grant for them. I follow them on Instagram and so they recently announced all of their most recent grant winners. And so I looked you up and you've had a really cool career, um, worked on some really big, like with some big productions and production companies and stuff like that um but i want to dive into like how you got into film and um how this became a career that you started pursuing which i think is interesting most people i interview they know they want to be filmmakers for forever and i wonder if it's a similar situation for you because i've read on your website that you started out as like a magazine writer with like vogue the new york times and vanity fair so you know just walk me through like how does this all how do you start there and then end up as like a you know, esteemed writer and director making great stuff. You know,
0: well, that's very generous to say esteemed. <laughs> but, um, I mean, my career been still pretty short, but and mostly screenwriting and directing is even newer. So, um, but I mean, it's funny where, like, I mean, my my mini DV camera that I like shot little silly movies on when I was twelve, like you know, my horror movie where my pet dog was like attacking a diorama that i
1: made. that's awesome i want to see that
0: right well i actually just converted the footage and no awesome see it
1: um (laughs) okay that's bad
0: but i mean I, i i i always was really interested in writing and storytelling like as a kid i mean everyone i feel like who ends up doing this kind of work says that um and then i but the thing that was most accessible i guess was um doing journalism. So I you know, was super into my high school paper. And then I went to Northwestern for the journalism right. school, Not which like they obviously have a really great uh, TV and film program, but I didn't do any of that. Um, hmm. I did take classes like about film and I was really interested in going to different cinema clubs and took a class on film reviewing. So I wasn't. Oh, that's interesting. Anything. Wow. Yeah, it was a really great. Actually, I remember like that's when I saw a lot of like I saw Dog Tooth and I saw um, Mich- Michelle Franco's like one of his early movies at the Chicago Film Festival, Daniel Yana, like I was becoming more literate. Um,
1: like film three way film theory stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like we read a lot of Pauline Kale and things like that. Um, and uh Yeah. And I mean, it wasn't, it's funny where like now I think back to a lot of little hinge moments where like when I was in journalism school, I went to report on Capitol Hill as part of like a student exchange program. And I really did not like that and was like, well, not doing this. And I, this was in dating myself the days of when netflix you would physically send for the dvd i mean obviously, i don't think i'm that much older than you but in micro generational difference and it was so exciting because i didn't have to go to the student exchange and like pick up the mail it would just come to our like newsroom i watched so many movies then like lots of you know european cinema and i think like the white ribbon came out around then and had like a really big impact on me and i like found out what the colors trilogy was different things Mm -hmm. like that um and so uh but but yeah i mean i really just like my goal at that time was to write for magazines
1: so it was purely like film appreciation like you're just enjoying it you're not even considering like you could do that one day.
0: No, I mean that wasn't. Um, I mean, I'm sure. Like, I sort of thought about. I had written little like plays and things in high school, but they were really bad. And I'd always <laughs> just like gravitated more toward kind of essayistic short stories. Comedy. I actually studied poetry in college because um, you know if the journalism didn't work out, you have to have a you know lucrative. <laughs> Backup, uh, right.
1: Yeah. So, and no, no uh, better backup than, than the poetry world.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you re- be able to recite an Elizabeth Bishop poem from memory. You are going to
1: put that on a resume. Ready <laughs> um,
0: but I did get a job right after college, which was lucky. And um, I worked at, an, I got a job at an art magazine and I was a like basically a fact checker and copy editor. And that was kind of the world that I, ended up in. And I'd, you know, taken classes in art history and, again, been like an appreciator of art and then really uh, lived in that world for a while.
1: Yeah. So how long did you uh, live in the magazine writing world?
0: I mean, I started work like because when you go to Northwestern, it's like very pre-professional. So I started working for magazines, like basically while I was still in college, whether that be freelance or you do this thing called like a, I don't think it, they call it this anymore, but a journalism residency where you work oh, like, yeah. at a magazine. So I worked at the AV club actually, um, back in the day. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I'm like wondering, I'm like, is anyone like listening? Remember that I, <laughs> <laughs> Oh
1: <yeah>. uh, <laughs> uh,
0: um, and, uh, and, uh, i and I'd like interned at different places, like the um Paris Review, and then I had worked at a magazine in China. I studied chinese, and so um so yeah, it's like i mean all told i don't know eight years maybe like or seven it's like hard to judge where it's but yeah, yeah i mean working professionally post college six years,
1: wow, so that's interesting because that's like a that's i mean. That's a that's a large part of a career, you know, like, so it's interesting to um, change up what you're doing. So I'm curious, when did that change? Like, when did you start thinking of pursuing um, screenwriting and filmmaking?
0: So I went freelance and um, I had been writing a lot about China and I had been writing a lot about Brazil and I had a really amazing job at aperture magazine, which is like, they're just really awesome. And they make amazing books in the magazine. And I really loved it there, but that was like, I had kind of like a dream job in a lot of ways and I felt not that happy with it. And that was kind of Hmm. where I thought to myself, the problem is obviously me and not magazines or the industry. And so I actually ended up quitting. Um, and I went freelance and I moved to Brazil. And I wrote from there. It was like a lot cheaper. And mm-hmm. my friends and like community there were mostly people who were filmmakers. And I didn't make any films, but they were working in and around it. They were making like short documentaries. And I remember kind of like watching them and being like, I would have put the camera here. Or like, why oh, didn't yeah. you it this way or whatever? I'm like, oh, interesting. Um, and then And then shortly after that, I ended up moving back to LA, which is actually, which is where I grew up, um, for a number of reasons, but in part, I had a magazine contract, uh, here and then started meeting lots of people, many of whom I had kind of known growing up, uh, who were writing scripts and started kind of doing that. And then I wrote this kind of like funny magazine article that, um, like a McSweeney's piece that someone said- I should turn into a pilot. And
1: then I did that. And yeah, wow, man, that's so, wow, that's really cool. So I'm curious if your background in writing gripping magazine articles, if you think that that has a really tangible effect on writing gripping scripts, because, and it's like when it comes to like, I assume I'm obviously never worked in that industry, but I feel like so much of it is like you have to in the attention economy nowadays, you have to like get people's attention right away. I don't necessarily mean like clickbait, but I mean like it's it has to be good from the outset and has to make me want to read on to the next like paragraph. In shorts, there are really similar way, like if you're going on YouTube looking at shorts or if you're a festival screener, if the first thirty seconds on it aren't interesting, you're probably not gonna watch the remaining like nine minutes or whatever. So do you think did you like go into writing that pilot feeling um confident in your abilities as a writer, or was it almost like a new language That you had to learn.
0: Not at all. I mean, I remember (laughs) writing it and someone being like, you should really outline that. I'm like, nah. And then like a few months later, I'm like, why didn't I do that? Um, But, you know, learning experience. And um, I mean, it's not that similar at all. Like, I think a lot of journalists think it's really similar. And I, I mean, I honestly feel like the poetry background is more similar yeah to screenwriting it's not like there's some decided structure that a, a an article or a journalist article really needs to take right like it kind of just needs i mean especially now where you're not trying to fit into magazine pages everything's online mm-hmm. like in that respect yeah i mean it feels more like constructing a sonnet or a sestina where certain things need to happen by this point in the story and by this point. And if it doesn't do those things, then it's not a script. It's not a sonnet like right. the, um, you know, the research phase and especially directing, I think, feels a lot more similar to like a journalistic experience where, you're going out and gathering string, and you're going out and getting the material and getting your clay to, to shape, and then you bring it back to the editing room or you know, your desk, and then you work with your editor like that. That feels a little more similar, maybe, which is I think in part why I really like it.
1: That pilot that you you took the article and converted into a pilot. What happened with that pilot?
0: Um, nothing.
1: Nothing. <laughs> I, That's fair. I got into-
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> And, uh, I got a manager and, uh, he was really well, awesome. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes. It was, that, that happened. That happened. And he was great. Uh, we, he like really helped me a lot. And then I started thinking about wanting to write a feature in part. Cause like, I think TV felt kind of opaque to me at the time. Cause I was super used to writing something with a beginning, a middle and an end. And this is the thing. Right. I deliver it. Yeah. This is the story. And so I felt like I should write a feature. And then I did that. And I was still working pretty much. I mean, yeah, I was working full time as a journalist, but and doing kind of like brand strategy and copywriting and things to pay the bills, pretty much like up until two years ago. Um, And, uh, and then I wrote that script, and got agents, and then started working.
1: Gotcha. So I want to talk about Tentacles, which is something that you wrote the teleplay, teleplay for for Hulu's Into the Dark series, and that came out this year, right?
0: Yes, in February.
1: Yeah, so um, I'll read the uh, the logline off your website: A young couple falls head over heels into a new romance and entwines their lives until their int- intimacy transforms into something terrifying. It's, I mean, what a company like Hulu to work with. Like that's just so that's huge i feel like whenever i saw that like that's that's just an incredible thing so can you tell me about like how that came about how you started working with them um you know just everything about it
0: uh i i mean i've always loved horror films my dad was a huge horror junkie had like you know wall-to-wall dvds like watching everything from you know in early adolescence the shining to mimic 2 or you know whatever um, or raps uh, a, a movie that has been described as beyond b and um <laughs> so so i mean like those are just the kind of movies like that i i think like i gravitate toward thinking about um making in you know the in that way, like in some kind of like childhood elemental way, like the birds, I feel was the first thing I ever saw and understood like, oh, this plot is about killer birds, but like, it's really beautiful and scary. And that must be a skill that one might have. It's called directing. Um, So... Anyway, so that's just to explain, like, you know, I came from the art world and journalism and different things, but I had always had this kind of uh, childhood love of horror from my family, and I was entering into a new relationship when I had moved to LA, and I woke up from this nightmare that, no spoilers, is pretty much what happens in tentacles, and I turned to my partner and was like, I just had this dream where this happened. And then rather than being absolutely terrified and running in the other direction, he was like, that would be a good horror movie. You should write that.
1: So how do you go from writing it to like, getting it made by Hulu? Was that through your agents and your managers?
0: I had written for channel zero and the executive, the executive that, um, was then at, Blumhouse and, um, you know, it was sent out as a spec, the, um, the script. And then, uh, she, uh, was a really awesome, uh, executive and was like, this would actually fit really well with this series. And, uh, yeah.
1: So how did it feel to see, um, this screenplay teleplay, I should say that you wrote from like a a nightmare turn it into something that is like produced of like tip top production value and like shown on Hulu to millions of people.
0: It's even more terrifying.
1: than. than <laughs> yeah. New fair, York. fair. Um, that's a, that's no, a good point.
0: It is funny where, like people email me and be like, I saw it. I'm like, wait, oh, right. It's, it's Yeah, just. People litter. can see
1: that. Like, yeah. <laughs> people,
0: it's, I mean, it's interesting with streaming now where it's like, it's yeah. You hear from people a lot later right um but no it it was awesome i mean i learned so much and i learned so much from uh, our director clara ranovic and she is just really talented great shooter really great person Um, and I definitely would not have directed a short, you know, less than a year later, had I not watched her working and how she worked with the DP, Sing How Yam, who there's just a lot of shots in it that I, you know, I, I didn't make them, but I, I feel super proud of the, you know, collaboration of those, you know, writing, directing, coming together there. And, um, and... It was, uh, you know, it was fast and it was also, um, we had started shooting before COVID and then finished during COVID. Uh, so that was wild, but also it felt like a really, uh, it felt really cool to see it come out also Valentine's Day and be resident with what I think a lot of people by then had been feeling where it's like, I've been stuck with my partner. And so, I mean, it's about kind of a toxic relationship, right. That becomes too close for comfort. And it felt very weirdly fortuitous that uh, a lot of people have been, you know, either happily stuck inside together, you know, spending all day in bed together or not so happily, which the movie talks about both sides of that coin.
1: What do you think was the biggest thing that you learned as a writer from that experience?
0: Yeah. How to write to direct for sure. Where Mm. just, you know, not, I mean, probably some original draft of the script had like so many Mm. locations and different, you know, well back in my, my sitting here at this desk. And, um, but yeah, I mean, figuring out how to write to, to direct and, streamlining and, you know, really thinking about a script, like you're building a house and then other people are going to come and put different wallpaper and furniture and, you know, rearrange some things and like, maybe they'll tear down a wall, but like, you know, hopefully not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, I I don't feel like that, but um, you want to make sure that like you build something super solid so that another, you know, if you're writing for a director, they can come in and even if they, you know, change all the, you know, feng shui and the you know the ceiling lights or whatever this is an extended metaphor but it's still it's still the same house so um i just feel like your job is protecting that kind of integrity more than like oh and you know an individual line of dialogue well you know the it's gonna be put differently and an actor these people come up with something you know better and it's it's not really i never really felt like precious about those things but it's it's you know not really learning that it's not really so much about that
1: yeah so there was there there was never like a time on set or something that you wished you were in the director's chair calling those shots or were you fine to like let them let them interpret it in that way
0: i wouldn't have i didn't have the Experience to even like know what I didn't know right like I really was truly really a, a sponge and feel super grateful that I got to be on set and watch everything because I just learned so much and it was just like a fully just a fully positive experience and actors uh, Dana and Casey are amazing and other Casey at least too and like the, you know it was just a really great environment to truly um get to learn
1: So was the short, uh, you said you wouldn't have been able to make a short later if it wasn't for tentacles. So the short following was that thumb? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So, um, thumb is uh, the short that was able to help you get the, um, the grant from the future of film is female for your short film sleep. Like you said earlier, um, thumb got into Fantasia and it's playing, it, it should be premiering right around this episode comes out. So, you know, tickets are in the description of this episode, if that's still available. Um, so I'll, I'll also read the the log line as well um, from your website when the daughter of a controversial performance artist inherits her late mother's home archive an unexpected visitor comes to claim the most notorious artwork as they discover an artistic legacy can be more of a curse and which is already a super compelling log line I need to learn how to write log lines from you <laughs> it's like a master class on how to do that
0: I'm hearing you say it and I'm like I
1: I'm already editing it in my head right yeah that's fair i'll just like we'll just deep fake your face on mine and you'll read whatever the the edited log line is um but fantasia had some really incredible things to say about it they said that it is a chiller of a blessing and it resonates a deep unease and it's also genuinely bloody scary i mean coming from a place like fantasia which is like the festival to get into for a short like this um that's just really High praise and it must mean a lot coming from an establishment like that.
0: Yeah, put put it on my tombstone chiller of a <laughs> blessing. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Um, exactly. But
0: no, I mean it was really, really exciting. I mean, this is what we worked for. Like it was a lot of hard work. And uh Kate Adams, who uh stars in it and I have known each other for 13 years. We met our first week of college. So, and we had always wanted to make something together. Um, I think at that point, neither of us were working in film, but we had always wanted to do something together. And we had really first talked about making a short together almost three years ago. Um, and where this all kind of came out of was that when I was writing this other script, uh, about the art world, the the one that I, um, was talking about before I interviewed a curator at MoMA, our friend who was, uh, working there. And she told me this story about how she was uh, assisting on this show and there was this artist that they really, architect artist that they really wanted to include who they couldn't because her sister controlled her archive and wouldn't let anyone see or have access to the work. And I kind of knew about situations like this. It's, it's not that common, but it's pretty, um, it's, it's a known thing, like uh, the artist. Uh, Jill Magid did a really cool documentary and performance art piece about how, like, Luis Barragan, the major uh, Mexican architect, like, his archive is controlled um, in Switzerland, and, like, no one, it's very difficult to access, and it these papers and plans and art often is just sort of underground, unable, which feels very ghostly to me, and I'd always been really fascinated by that, and so then hearing this story, I'm like, well, why didn't the sister want to let her sister, you know, the art be seen? This was like a very not well-known woman from Montenegro. Like being shown at MoMA would have been a huge deal. And, totally. uh And then it was only after the sister died that they were able to include the work. And I was just sort of like, what must have happened with them? But uh, it feels like a way bigger uh the stakes feel so much higher than just having some kind of personal grievance. I, you know, in my mind immediately went to, was the work cursed or haunted? And was there some more paranormal reason? And so I kind of told that idea to Kate and we started really brainstorming uh, what that might look like. And obviously there's this common trope of dying for your art or, you know, blood, sweat and tears, but there's also a, you know, Whole movement of performance artists in the 70s who literally hurt themselves for their art like Chris Burden uh shoot he was shot in the arm or Marina Abramovic, who is like a big inspiration for our character in this who you know she's done performances where people can do anything to her even like she has a gun on the table and this piece mm. um I think it's rhythm zero. I'll recheck it later where you could like, you could slash her arm if you wanted to. And that's part of the performance. And so, um, or like there's artists like Jan Otter who literally did die doing a performance Mm. art piece. So like, I just knew about all of this. And there's also um, this whole tradition of like artist estates that are kind of kept exactly the way that it was when the person died. Like, Donald Judd Foundation and things like that. So, yeah, I just felt like there were all these tropes and spaces that I had encountered that felt really ripe for horror storytelling. And, you know, Kate and I started talking about this, yeah, I mean, like, end of 2018. And then we got busy and we were doing other things. And then I probably... Like, really in earnest, started like putting pedal to the metal to make it at like the beginning of 2020. And then we shot it in. Great timing. (laughs) Yeah, great. Yeah. That was another thing, too, though, was where it was like when that summer moment happened where things were, you know, you could sort of do outdoor dining and people were tentacles went back up shooting. I, we were like, we got to do it now because like who knows? Right. Yeah, and we're going to get to do it. And we, you know, it was timing wise, really good. And so we just
1: did it. Yeah, that's awesome. So going into production, um, you know, COVID craziness aside, uh, which everyone who's been on this podcast for the past, like three months has crazy COVID production stories, sadly. Mm -hmm. Um, but what was something like that was really important to you knowing that you were going to be the director leading the set? Like, What kind of set did you want to lead? How did you want your crew to feel? Like, what were you kind of thinking of from a leadership standpoint with your crew?
0: I don't know that I thought about that until afterward Mm -hmm. uh, so much. Like, I think especially because all of the challenges with covid and like i mean it's 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 really hard to direct in a mask too where it's like and and also there's so many things that normally be happening right with with all the things that you're talking about where you actually literally cannot meet with people in person as often as you'd like Mm -hmm. before or you know all hang like normally and the distancing so that felt like a like a complicated thing to figure out um but um I mean, I think the most important thing would be like the uh, protecting the actor's creative space. And like, I definitely did a lot of things to make sure that they, you know, because even though horror movies are um, heightened and, you know, they're not, they're not melodramas with crimes in them, they're in a sort of fantastical space. It's still really real for the actors and they still have to be uh, seeing and experiencing really, scary emotions and, um, things. And so, uh, just making sure I think like the thing that I was most present with was making sure that they were really well taken care of and felt safe and protected. You know, they're also the people who aren't wearing masks. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean that, that question feels, um, so yeah, definitely covid specific. Um
1: Was there a moment on set that you felt you really grew as a director, whether it's like I feel like one of my things that I love I should say like the thing I love most about directing is um you know some some directors prefer post production over production and I'm in post right now for my most recent project and it's awesome I love like being in the room and putting it together. But I really love being on set and having those like sparks fly, like talking to an actor like between takes or like, we're rolling through, like we're burning pixels and you have like 10 seconds to get the actor there, you know, I feel like that's where you, uh, you can't like really prep for that. It just happens like, um, and that's when you have to really think on your toes. So was there a time like that on set where you thought, um, that you really grew as a director and, um, you know, allowed yourself to think on your feet in those scenarios?
0: Yeah. On, yeah, for sure. I mean, at every, every moment, I mean, it's like, it's such a, that's, that's the easy answer, which is just like, yeah. it's such a high octane experience that, you know, you're learning something minute to minute,
1: yeah. second
0: to second because of what mm-hmm. you're capturing, right? Like every second counts. Um, I mean, I think that like probably the biggest learning experience was like I mean we had you know we finished everything on time which I was proud of and then like uh the last day we were getting a little behind you know we we had some complicated aspects of prosthetics and different things that you know are just really hard to control and we were like looking at the shot list and it was kind of like I don't think this is gonna work and so um that at lunch like looked at it with the DP and was like, okay, like I'm just going to do this and this and less setups. And I felt really, yeah, I think that was like a moment of clicking where I felt like there was some way we were going to do a scare that we sort of reoriented it. And I actually really like it better. Um, yeah. What we ended yeah. up doing. Um So uh yeah, a good lesson in two things, like one learning that I like high pressure situations and kind of like the more like direly insanely stressful the situation i really like to click the pieces together um mm. although that wasn't you know in the scheme of the world dire and then um right and then to just ha- being incredibly incredibly prepared and having a really 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 clear idea of the story and your script because. I think that's what allows for the most flexibility, right? Where it's like, yeah, you're sure. not worried the whole thing is going to fall apart. if like, we don't do a whip pan. Like, it's you know, <laughs> yeah. it, like it, you feel a confidence in that. Like, well, I, I know this story so well. and I know the script and I've broken it down so much that I, I think that there's a different way to do this. Right. You know? Yeah.
1: What was your favorite part about post-production and putting it together in the edit? Like, were you able to, in the same, I love what you said about how it's, all, you like it better, What the, the the moment that you had to come up with the decision on the day? Because I feel like nine times out of ten, it's always better than like what you wrote um, or what you had originally planned in the shot list or whatever. But were there any moments like that in post-production that you also found new ways to do things that you hadn't planned originally?
0: Yes. Um, I mean, I think that one of the biggest things that I learned in post is that when you have really good actors, you can cut a lot of wine. For sure. Wine because they're doing it with their eyes and you realize that a lot of things are becoming clear that you didn't necessarily realize, like, you know, where you're, you're trying to protect yourself and make sure that you have it. And so that was really cool to, that was really cool to, to experience. And also to like feel that collaboration with your actors, even when they're not actually present where, you know, I tell Kate, like, it was crazy. We don't need this whole thing because you just, yeah, you did it with your eyes. It's yeah. wild. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah. And I mean, doing the music was so fun. Um, Zach, who did the music Robinson, he does the music on Cobra Kai. He's like, mm farther along in his career than I am. Uh, but we went to college together at Northwestern and actually me, him and Kate met our first week of college. And so that oh, was wow. also like a very, um, sweet and also exciting thing to get to all make something together.
1: So then, um, you know, you finish it and it gets into Fantasia, like I've said, um, how do, like, how does it, how does that change things because again that's just a, a really awesome like big deal i i have a friend who's been on the podcast a couple of times who got to fantasia and it's been interesting to see how that has like changed the trage- trajectory of his career in like the best ways um so what has it been like working with the people in fantasia and just you know realizing that it's going to be on that stage
0: i will have a better answer for you i mean once i've actually done it i mean it's really exciting i mean i've never uh, been in a film festival before so i also don't really know
1: what a first festival that is incredible wow that's awesome thank (laughs) you that's really cool
0: i'm excited
1: (laughs) i've been into i've been at like small town festivals where like 10 people show up including me and my friends so i think you'll have a better experience than those So I want to talk about, um, sleep, which, like I said, at the top of the episode is how I found out about you and your work. Um, can you, you know, for those who don't know, tell us about what sleep is and how that project came about?
0: Yeah. I mean, it, uh, well, it's a pretty much going to be about four minutes, um, short. That's one shot. And it's about Mm. a woman who, uh, I mean, it's very simple concept A woman who is woken up in the middle of the night by a noise and starts kind of having this paranoid episode um, thinking someone's there.
1: Yeah, and I read that it's inspired by your real-life experience of when you were young, like a break-in happened in your house, like in broad daylight, right?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, it's not not, uh, the same story at all. It's sort of like, you know, inspired by having those kinds of fears of someone breaking in and um, being attuned to being worried about that and the way that that kind of fear operates. Uh, But it's not, it's not the same uh, story. Although I, you know, I would like to tell that story and talk about that um, in something else, but this was sort of like a jumping point, I guess you would say, and something just very, achievable and, and like, and very short.
1: That, yeah, I know that, that is interesting going from, uh, isn't like, I think I read that, uh, thumb is like 10 minutes long ish.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. And it's more like a proof of concept kind of thing for a feature and sleep is really just what it is. And like, I also just felt like I had seen a lot of shorts that I felt like were really effective and, um, really scared me. Um, like lights out or which i mean did get into a movie but um or like remy weeks old monster things like that where i felt like i want to do something more like that and you know you, you the pendulum swings swing you do something that's uh a little bigger and it's like trying to build this whole world you're like oh i want to do something that's a lot smaller and different and uh that Vein. And so, um, but it was also definitely super inspired by doing Thumb, where like the most fun parts of it were, you know, sitting around and doing some of the inserts with the actors and me, DP, Julia Swain, and the productions ironer, Kyle Leeser. And I was just like really loved working with all of them and wanted mm-hmm. to do something again that like, it wasn't like I like strategically thought like, ooh, how do I piece this together? But it was sort of like born out of really enjoying working with all of them and then Mm -hmm. thinking about something that um, played to everybody's strengths.
1: No, I love that. So whenever you're writing, I'm curious how you see stories. Like when you're writing, are you only thinking about it from a writer's perspective, like thinking about the characters and the story elements and plot and that kind of stuff? Or when you're writing, are you imagining things visually like the idea of sleep being one continuous take or one shot i should say was that like from the get-go from whenever you first started writing like you knew that that's the best way it wanted to you wanted to portray it
0: yeah i mean it's like a little bit of a which came first chicken or chicken where i'm sort of like it's not like i said to myself in my head "Ooh, i'm gonna write something that's one shot and can be done in one day. Uh, so that why, but it's like, it just sort of comes together in that, in that way where like, I wouldn't have written. I don't think at that point I would have written something that needed to shoot for more than one day. Cause uh, I wanted to do something a lot smaller. And, easier although it wasn't easy at all. It's never
1: easy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah.
0: I learned. Um no, I didn't think it was going to be easy, but I just certain things that had been um, you know, I felt like I could streamline. I wanted to like be able to experiment with doing that. And um and what else can I answer to this question? I mean, but but I mean always having a screenplay structure right like the script is three pages long and it has a first act a second act and a third act and they're very distinct and like it's really planned out like even for being one shot and um pretty much being all on kate the whole time and that also helps her build her performance like understanding where those um having a script that makes it clear where those turns are
1: and so i want to talk about the grant specifically um because i I don't remember how exactly i found out about the future of film is female but i've been following them for a while and they do these grants where they can help you out with like whether you have a script help out with the post pre-production costs or production or post your grant is specifically for post and even more specifically for your color grade right Mm -hmm. so how did you get involved with that organization like did you submit to them Um, did they reach out to you? Like, I'm curious what that process is like.
0: Our producer on the, on the first one knew about it and had recommended it. Um, and I had applied before and not, uh, you know, gotten funding, which I think is like important to admit Mm -hmm. and tell people that like, I feel like a big part of how I've gotten farther and, you know, whether it was in journalism or different things is, you know, you submit something and it's not quite right or it's not the right time, but then people know who you are and what you do and what you're capable of. And so mm-hmm. then, um, yeah. So then when we had finished sleep and I had kind of like the raw footage, um, I sent it in and, um, and yeah. And it, you know, it, it's at night, uh, obviously. So, or not obviously, but it does take place at night. And mm-hmm. so, uh, the, Color is gonna be really helpful. Um yeah, to for sure. have for um super amazing people
1: yeah. working on. Yeah. So um with these really awesome projects that are like obviously getting recognized by people who know what they're talking about, <laughs> like they're obviously good. Um, you know, that's that's a very cold take. Um, but I'm curious, like, what is your, when you zoom out and have like the 30,000 foot view of your career, um, I'm curious, what is your like North star as a filmmaker? The thing, like the reason you keep making stuff, the, your, the reason you want to make stuff and like, what are you aiming for? Um, you know, just why do you keep doing it? Because as I say, often, like, this is really hard, obviously, (laughs) You, you know, talking about even sleeve, you wanted it to be shorter. It's still never easy. Um, But I don't know, I'm just, I always love asking people, uh, what is the thing that carries them to keep making stuff and keep telling stories?
0: Yeah. I mean, I have a couple different answers, I guess, to that, which are like, I feel like the thing that I used to hear the most in interviews like this from people is that you have to really need to do it or else, you know, it's, it's not, I mean, I yeah. I mean, I think I kind of felt like that about writing for magazines, right. Where there were just a lot Mm -hmm. of aspects of it that I didn't need to do. And there were people who could kind of do it better. And I didn't, you know, I wanted to, I loved it in a lot of ways, but it wasn't like a need. Um, but I think like the main motivating thing is just seeing, um, I think like being in a conversation with People and ideas and filmmakers that I admire and I feel like where a lot of ideas are coming from is feeling like I want to make something that's a little bit like this thing that I love but a little bit like that and then there's this experience that I had or this artist that I you know studied their work and I don't really see that out there and right. wanting to enter the, enter the conversation and, and to really yeah, and feel like you have a story to tell. I mean, that's just such a simple answer, but like, I just feel like I have a lot of stories to tell. Like, that's what I was always like as a kid, like, you know, with my dolls and arranging them around and like having little soap operas oh. with them and then <laughs> running out of dolls, storylines, right. uh, like we were we were full up on projects on my bedroom floor and so then i started like using my rock collection to like it's like the blue rock and the pink rock are having an affair and like
1: (laughs) you know yeah yeah Um, really highbrow experimental um, film
0: but like yeah i mean like that you know i think that's the the origin of like why people want to do this kind of work is just really um needing to tell a
1: story no I, I i think like i don't think there's any um i think the simple answer is like the best one you know and i love what you're saying about um you don't the thing you want to make you don't see like it doesn't exist so like you're the best person to make it exist like if you if your favorite film existed then you wouldn't try to make it again or something you know what i mean so i think yeah that's, i remember I love hearing
0: that. someone i know say who was like a really talented editor saying like i would have um I would have been a novelist, but then I read this book that was like, the thing that I would have wanted to write or better. And I was just mm. like, but I think that that drive, I mean, I think just also I'm a big reader, as you can see, and like, I get pretty much saved, like most of my ideas from reading unless they're inspired from my life. And like that just feels so much like, you know, you read something on the page, and then you're kind of building the world in your mind, and you have something to say or communicate or yeah just i mean a a conversation
1: absolutely so i'm curious what advice you have for young indie filmmakers like myself who i just graduated last year this is a very weird time to graduate from college all my peers and i are um i shouldn't say all of them because i have some that are killing it but (laughs) we're just figuring it out you know this is a weird time to figure out how to make things. Um, It's never been more saturated, but it's also never been easier to make things. So what advice do you have to young filmmakers navigating the industry and who just want to start these conversations? Like you're just saying.
0: I mean, I'm assuming you're kind of talking about a writer director path. Just keep writing, just write a lot of, as much as you can. I mean, I've written a lot of things that are not out there. Um, And I've learned a lot from, from doing that. And, you know, you can always, uh, you know, it it doesn't cost anything to be really, really, really prepared and to uh, invest in yourself with reading different books and listening to podcasts like this one. And like, um, you know, what, you know, obviously that can depending on what you're situation is of like how much time you have to invest in yourself. But like, I think that, I mean, even in making sleep, I thought about this a lot where it was like, we, it was pretty low budget and like, but I still, the, what we were able to like achieve, um, I felt really proud of like Kate and I rehearsed, you know, multiple Mm -hmm. times, three minutes short, but Mm -hmm that doesn't cost anything to meet up for 30 minutes and talk about each page of your you know of the script and what's going on with it and like set you know and i think that that i guess my other note would be to like set yourself up for success and like try to make use of the talented people around you and write things and make things that make play to their best strengths and listen to them. And you know I've met some really amazing, feel really lucky to have met some really amazing people that I love.
1: Well, I love what you, I love when you were talking about sleep, like you wanted to make something, uh, whether consciously or not, where like your collaborators could just like totally thrive in their positions. And I think like, that's a great, that's what we should all like. We should have each other's backs in the, in the people that were networking with like our peers, um, and just constantly try to make those opportunities for people. So I think that's, a lot yeah.
0: that. I think, yeah, setting yourself up for success and setting your collaborators up for success, like giving them material that they can really, uh, shine with. And then everybody's, uh, bouncing off of each other. Like, I mean, Julia is awesome and kyle is awesome and zach and kate and these are i'm just you know and jacqueline and all the people that i worked with on um on thumb and
1: uh yeah yeah um well thank you so much for taking the time to do this this has been really exciting i feel like i'm catching you at an interesting part of your career because i know it's only gonna just like keep skyrocketing after this so uh congrats on fantasia Mm -hmm. that's so huge as the first festival to be getting into that's like i mean that's incredible. That's really awesome. So, uh, it's very exciting to see. And yeah, this episode should be coming out around the time that it's playing. So we'll have, uh, links in the description to get tickets and of course, links to your websites. So people can check out your work and all of that fun stuff. Um, but this has been so much fun. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me again.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, everyone, thank you again for listening. If you listening or watching, if you only listen, you should check out our YouTube channel to uh, see some behind the scenes content from uh, Ali's work and, uh, you know, subscribe to our YouTube channel and all that fun stuff. Uh, new episodes come out every Monday. So thank you again for listening and Alan, thanks again for being here. Thank you.